this uh, next week, I'm going to, uh, to, to be out of the office uh, for the entire week. Ellen and I are going to take a couple of days. And then uh, this long-awaited surgery that, uh, that many of you have known about and have been so uh, gracious in asking about for my, my mother is actually going to take place on Wednesday. And so I'm going to be in Fredericksburg from Wednesday of this, this coming week uh, through Sunday. And uh, this next Sunday morning, uh, you guys are going to be blessed by, uh, by one of the shepherds of our church family, uh, a man that I, I respect uh, as much as any man that, that, that I know and somebody that I love and, and just appreciate as a friend. Everett Heiston is going to be preaching uh, next Sunday morning. You're going to be blessed by Everett. And then next Sunday night, um, uh, Barry Newton, who is, as you know, uh, just you know this guy with a 10-pound brain, that is as smart as anybody I've ever known in my life. And, uh, but, but, you know, as smart as he is, he's humble. And uh, I've never really been around a fellow with, with Barry's intellect and, and, and uh, with that intellect, a, a, just a profound depth of spirituality. I mean, he is, uh, Barry, like Everett, is a, a man after God's own heart. But uh, Barry is, 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 is also a model of humility and modesty before God. And I know that both of those men are going to bless you next week. And I would ask that, uh, that you remember my mother uh, in this prayer. Uh, 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 this surgery is, is somewhat serious. Uh, you, you know, every kind of seri- uh, surgery is serious. Uh, this is one of those that, uh, you know, you have it one day, you're out the next, but it takes you about six months to feel like a human being again. And, uh, and so we're, we're really grateful for the opportunity for mom to, to, to have this kind of surgery and to be able to take care of her uh, now that, uh, that my father's gone. And um, I'd, I'd like for us to come together as we get ready to study God's Word tonight, as, as well as pray for, for the Moors and for Taipei, uh, that, that team going to Taiwan again, as well as for Dean and all of these matters that are kind of swirling around in, uh, in our, our souls right now. So let's bow our heads and join our hearts. And ask God to bless. Father, we, uh, we, we come to You recognizing that there is no other God but You. There are so many little gods that try to worm their way into our affections and into uh, our soul and, and whisper into our ears lies about significance and importance and priorities and principles and values. And we pray, Father, that, that You grow larger in our heart and soul and mind as to help drown out these other voices that would try to usurp Your place or at least to displace You a little bit by becoming more important than they should. We pray for wisdom and for discernment. We pray for strength and for courage to do what is right. We, we pray for Dean, who is beginning this, this life journey today, who, is, who has been the recipient of Your grace and has received the gift of Your Spirit, Father. And, and I pray that, that he grow up into the disciple that is a light in this community all the days of his life. And I pray for his father, uh, Kenny, and for his mother, Bonnie, to be filled with wisdom as well as they continue to in, instruct this young man uh, about the, the, the precious quality of Your will for all of our lives. Uh, we pray for, for Gabe and Julie and their kiddos as they get ready to, to move to the East Coast. 
we, we pray, Father, that, that You will keep them safe on the road and that You'll deliver them from evil people and that they will uh, find in their new home a, a community of disciples, a people of like faith that recognize the greatness of Your character, Father, and the, and the supreme value of Your presence in our life and that they will continue to grow and conform to the image of Jesus there on the East Coast. And for uh, our four friends... Uh, our brothers and sisters that are leaving early tomorrow to go to Taiwan, we ask, Father, uh, for them to be fruitful. And for all of these studies that they have set up, that You will go ahead of them, Father, not only to, to, to bring these, these studies uh, to the surface, but already to be working in the hearts of these individuals. Uh, I pray for Eric and Jason and Moriah and for, for Haley to be fruitful and to bring glory to Your name and to be successful in this trip. And I pray that not only that You protect their faith, Father, but You protect them. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Lord's Prayer, uh, for a lot of years, has been very, very interesting to me. In this prayer, you, you find uh, all kinds of elements from the recognition of who God is to submission to His sovereignty, to the appreciation for the beauty and the grace that He brings into our life to, to supplication, how you actually petition or, or make supplication to God about the things that you desire in this life. And, and that's the line that I want us to focus on tonight, this line, give us this day our daily bread. It is, it is a curious line. Historically, uh, there have been lots of people who have been offended by it. And uh, I'm going to ask uh, Brody to, uh, to fire. Many of you know the... Uh, the, uh, the movie Shenandoah, Jimmy Stewart is the father, and this is the famous prayer of unthanksgiving that he prays at the dinner table. Lord, we cleared this land. We plowed it, sowed it, and harvested. We cooked the harvest. It wouldn't be here. We wouldn't be eating it if we hadn't done it all ourselves. We work dog bone hard for every crumb and morsel, but we thank you just the same anyway, Lord, for this food we're about to eat. Amen. <laughs> How many of you have, have uh, been tempted to pray a prayer like that? <laughs> it's a prayer of unthanksgiving. God, we give you thanks for everything that we've worked uh, our fingers down to the nubs to get. But for others, uh, this line is why they get involved in prayer in the first place. People have a need. It's a need that they struggle with their own power or their own energies and resources to be able to get it. And, uh, and they go to God in prayer and they want God to meet it. They have a situation that is causing some consternation, some turmoil, and they want God to change it. But when the answer doesn't come, the, the answer that they want, there is profound disappointment. There is significant disappointment with God. And sometimes they leave prayer altogether, complaining that God did not come through for them even though they prayed. I'm reminded back in the 1980s of when I was a youth minister in, in Southern California, this teenager who just about lost his faith because he had prayed and prayed and prayed for God to give him tickets to the Madonna concert only to have God fall through with that. And yet, Jesus teaches to ask God. Jesus teaches to ask God, to petition God in prayer, not only here, but in other places. You'll remember that passage over in Matthew chapter 21, in cursing the fig tree, which is 
uh, about it, it's um, it's kind of a, a a drama that Jesus plays out with this fig tree, trying to illustrate what it means to bear fruit and what happens when you don't bear fruit, when you don't have the kind of faith that blossoms, that's full of life and that produces fruit. And so he says in Matthew chapter twenty-one and verse twenty-two, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. In Luke chapter eleven, verse nine, so I say to you. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. James, the brother of Jesus, teaches the same thing in this general epistle that he sends out to the church. In James chapter 4, he says, You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. In this model prayer, Jesus teaches us three things. He helps us to see a person, helps us to see a principle, and He helps us to see a partnership. In, in the person, it's important to recognize to whom it is that we pray. And there is a principle. This principle is the key to our prayer life, the principle of recognizing God's will. And then a partnership and understanding how this partnership works in the kingdom of God is what brings harmony with God and a satisfaction, I think, in terms of that, that petitionary prayer. So, in understanding petitionary prayer, the first point is discover a person. Discover a person. The key to any petition is the person to whom the petition is being made. Right? There's a difference between how a parent petitions a son to take out the trash and how a son asks parents for the car keys. Knowing the person is absolutely key. Now, the Bible is full of extraordinary promises about prayer. In John chapter 14, verse 13, John says, or Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. In John chapter 15 and verse 16, then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Even if you go to the Old Testament, you will find God responding as a father to the petitions that His children ask. Isaiah chapter 65 and verse 24. Before they call, He says, I will answer. In James chapter 1 and verse 5, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to Him. But the key is knowing that you pray to our Father. That you pray to our Father who art in heaven. One of the main things that this, that this prayer teaches us is the difference between praying like a Christian and praying like a pagan. In a Christian prayer, God is a Father. We are praying to God who is a Father. A Father who is willing and joyfully bestowing every good thing His children need. A Father whose delight is made even more profound when the children ask for the very thing He wants to give them. The key concept here is we are praying to a Father. And the Bible is just filled with passages that teach us that God is a Father who blesses His children. And there is a level of confidence in going to a Father. I can remember one time... Um, uh, you probably are not going to believe this about me, but one time in elementary school, I was sent to the principal's office. And uh, going to the principal and asking uh, for mercy 
was uh, a lot different than going to my father and asking for mercy. There, there is a difference in going to a boss and going to a father. And those of us who are fathers know something about this. Our joy is father, as fathers is bound up in the joy of our children. It's hard to be happy if you're a father if the children, your children, are in a crisis of some sort. Dysfunctional parents who try to live through their kids uh, uh, don't get that. But that's not the kind of parenting that I'm referring to. Healthy parents make sacrifices for their own children and do the right thing for their children because their children are what? Made in their image. Someone told me this past week how much Jordan favors me in looks. Now, he's, a, he's, he, he's, a, he's not always happy to hear that. Let's just put it that way. But being made in my image works to His favor. God's joy in our success, as God defines success, is tied up in the fact that we are made in His image. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus asks, which one of you having a child who asks for an egg will give him a scorpion? How many of you, when, you know, as a father, when your child asks for bread, will give him a, a, a snake instead? And the answer to that is no father would do that. Even though we are evil, we know how to give good gifts to our children who ask. And the point that Jesus is trying to make is that how much more then is a perfect father going to give to those who ask? And what this means is that there has never been a parent in the history of the world who wanted to give good things to their children more than God. In prayer, we approach the omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent, omnipresent God who is our Father who is in heaven. And when it comes to petitionary prayer, we do not just speed past the opening lines of this model prayer that Jesus has given us. When we pray the petitionary prayer, when we make supplication to God, we pray to our Father. But the prayer doesn't end there. His teaching on prayer does not end there. The second point that he makes is there, there is a, a principle. We employ a principle. When you think about God and you think about His attributes, God is glorious. And God is sacred. And you don't make petition without thinking of what it means for God to be the supreme value and the ultimate concern for our lives. So what does it mean when Jesus teaches us to pray, Thy kingdom come? It means that as, as God's will is done in heaven, in His presence, among His angels, that that will is done in our life. His kingdom is being expanded in our heart and in our soul and in our mind. It means that God's will is being done in our life. And that's an incredibly important thing to understand because there is a hole in our heart that is greatly wounded by desire and lust. The things that we see and the things in our heart that, that we desire, our hearts are greatly wounded. And one of the, the, one, one of the, the major uh, points that we have to cross, the thresholds that we have to cross through in order to grow spiritually, is to understand that our desires in this life need to be healed. They do. 
And so we begin to see a progression in this prayer. We, we work out who it is, to whom it is, that we pray. We're praying to our Father. We, we're, we're praying to our Father who loves us. We're praying to our Father who is perfect. We're praying to our Father who is omnibenevolent, which means that He loves without end. And in going to that Father with our petitions, we employ a principle. Our petitions center on God's will. Thy kingdom come, thy what? Say it with me. Will be done. And when we do not recognize that principle, it keeps us anxious and it keeps us worried and it keeps us fretful and it keeps us upset in prayer more than anything else. And sometimes it makes us angry at God. When Ellen and I uh, were in college, we didn't have a whole lot of money, and we had the oldest washing machine you ever saw. And one night, uh, we could hear this tremendous racket coming through the utility room, which was actually kind of the shed that was pushed over to the side of the house and attached to the back of the kitchen. And it was making a lot of racket. We didn't know what it was. I had never heard it before. went to investigate and found that the washing machine was walking like a robot across the floor. What I discovered once I pulled the plug, I didn't know what was going on. I had never seen it before. Pulled the plug, it stopped, began to look around, discovered when I opened up the, the door that, uh, you know, you, my mother would not want me to say to you, I did not know what was going on because she made me do my laundry. But I had discovered that clothes had gotten to one side of the drum and had thrown it off balance. And after I centered the clothes around the center of the drum, everything worked just fine. Now, before we say, give me this day and you fill in, the blank, fill in the blank, we have to say, thy will be done. Which requires an ever-increasing and growing humility and modesty before God that God is not this genie in a lamp. He is our Father, but He is the Father who is in heaven. The supreme value of the universe who is sovereign in my life and in your life and at the center of my life is not only God, but God's will. He is not a genie in the lamp. He is a Father whose will is done on earth as it is in heaven, which means most specifically a will that is done in my life, which again takes humility. Now, one of the things I discovered when my kids were born is that I didn't, that, you know, that I didn't know before is that I never saw before all the danger that was all over the house. Corners of coffee tables and dog dishes that were brimming with germs like a petri dish, stovetops, doors that slammed, cabinets filled with toxins that actually looked like refreshing drinks, electrical outlets tempting little fingers to probe about. And when Jessica was born, we wanted to, to baby-proof that house. And Ellen and I worked hard to baby-proof our home. And then came the second discovery. Children are not to be trusted. They want to drink things and eat things that, that look great, but are not. They want to grab things and stick, in, stick those things in their mouth, even though they're dangerous. They want to put their hands in danger. And as a father and mother, you have a couple of options. You can make them initially happy by giving them whatever they want, which will lead to their destruction. Or do not give them what they want, but what they need, understanding that they'll be mad at you for a decade or two, but in the end, grow into well-adjusted, happy, responsible citizens. So, young woman, Praise to God who is genie in a lamp. 
What happens when that young woman praying to the genie in the lamp prays for a husband who isn't the right husband? What happens when that same young woman prays to her father who art in heaven, whose will be done in her life as it is done in heaven, prays for a certain young man to become her husband who isn't the right husband? In the mind of the immature, need and want are the same thing. Our Father sees what is our needs. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 7. Where during the days of Jesus' life on earth, He offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save Him from death. Where was that taking place? The garden. He prays, He offers up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears. Gives you a a little bit more insight into what's going on at the end of Matthew and Luke, the Garden of Gethsemane. Cries and tears to the One who could save Him from death. And He was what? Heard. Because of His reverent submission. And he was heard. And he was heard. What in the world does it mean that Jesus was heard? Wasn't Jesus, if I remember my Bible correctly, wasn't Jesus turned down in the Garden of Gethsemane by the one who could save him from death? Because Jesus did, in fact, a few hours later, die a cruel death on the cross? He was heard. His petition, if I'm remembering correctly, was let this cup pass. It wasn't granted. But here's the thing. Jesus was not praying to a genie in the lamp. Jesus prayed in reverent submission, in humility, to His Father who art in heaven, whose will be done on earth as it is in heaven and in His life. And the Father took Jesus' prayer in the garden and turned it into a resurrection. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, Paul prays three times for God to take a thorn out of His side God, take this thorn out. Take this thorn out. Take this thorn out. I have no clue what, it, what that was all about. That thorn. I have some ideas. But the text doesn't tell us. The fact that it's a thorn and a thorn in the side, everybody who's ever been out in the country or laid on, 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 on a, a goat's head burr knows what that's like. It's something that's painful. It's something that you can't get away from. It's something that's hard to, to, to get your mind distracted away from because it's painful and it's just enough of an irritant to, to drive you insane sometimes. I don't have a clue as to what it was, but Paul thought it stood in the way of his having an effective life. At some point, Paul came to the conclusion, I can't go on and have an effective life. I can't go on and do what it is I'm supposed to do and live as I'm supposed to live and be the kind of person that I want to be if this thing continues to be sticking me in the side. And God answers and says, no. 
Now, we're talking about Paul. Like Jesus. Godly, godly, godly person. And God answers and says, No, because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Every time I I think about that Hebrews 5 passage and the fact that Jesus is in that garden with loud cries and tears praying and He's heard but how it's answered is so much different than what He's praying for in the garden. And I think it's 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and three times Paul is praying for God to take that thorn out of his sight. The question is, what would I ask for if I knew everything that God knows. It's that which keeps us humble and modest before God. It's knowing that God sees and God does so much more greatly and richer and deeper and more more beautiful than anything we could imagine and knowing that He sees and He's our Father Our Father, who knows and sees more than we could ever imagine. It's that that keeps us humble and modest before God in knowing that it's to our Father that we pray for His will to be done in our life. And I don't think that you get to that humility and modesty before God without learning to trust, which is at the heart of faith. And it's here that I think that we see that prayer is not just this one-on-one battle of wills. It's, it's, it's my will against God's will and God's will against my will. And who's going to come out on top? But what we recognize is that it's not a one-on-one battle of wills, but we recognize that it's a partnership. Now, please understand what I mean by partnership. We are not, by any stretch of the imagination, equal with God. He is the Creator and we are creatures. He is perfect and holy and we are fallen but saved by His grace. The only thing that brings us back into His His presence and into His arms and into His love and into His eternity and into His heaven is the fact that His Son in love was willing to die to pay the penalty for our sins. He lived the life that we should have lived and died the death that we should have died. We are not by any stretch of the imagination equal with God. But this life is to be lived in harmony with God and His will. We partner with God for His will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And the very phrase, give us this day our daily bread, gives special relevance to this prayer. It's a declaration, a daily declaration of a daily dependence on God that we are not in charge. That we go to God for even the most basic needs in life. My wife and my kids hear me pray every day very simply around the dinner table or the lunch table or the breakfast table. Thank you for our food. And even though I recognize the part that we all played in working and buying and preparing, my food comes from God. There would be no food without God. 
There would be no job. There would be no home, kitchen to cook it in, no plates to serve it on, unless it were God. There would not even be the existence of food if it were not for God. The home, the clothing, all of these these provisional blessings of God, we pray for every day, recognizing it's a gift from our Father. We are dependent on God for everything. And until you are reconciled to that fact, then none of this prayer is really for you. If you go out of the home every day thinking that you are competent to do whatever needs to be done in your life, and to your life, and for your life, then you haven't understood the nature of this model prayer. You haven't gotten the point of asking God for your daily bread. You haven't reconciled yourself to the fact that you are a human being and nothing more. A human being that's made in the image of God a human being that has been sanctified by God's grace and brought into His presence and going to live forever in God's eternity. But He is God and nothing less. We are humans and nothing more. We don't do life as disciples of Jesus without God the Father who art in heaven doing His sovereign will not only in heaven but in our life. You know, they say there are no atheists in foxholes. I think that's true. I think those prayers that are sometimes prayed in those foxholes are the most honest, instinctual reflex that we really are made for God. And that He is a Father who listens. Jeff's going to lead us in a song right now. And uh, perhaps uh, things have not been straight in your life as a disciple. That there's some rectifying that needs to be done in terms of your humility and your modesty before God. Maybe there are some things that you're doing in your life that really bump up against and cut across the grain of His will being done in your life and at the center of your heart. Maybe you just haven't been thinking about God very much, and when you do think about Him, you certainly think about Him not as a father, but sometimes as a nuisance. I hate to say it this way, but sometimes you think about, you know, what is it they say about lawyers, a necessary evil? I, I don't believe that. But sometimes we do think that about God. He's just sort of this necessary annoyance in life. He's there and He's got to be dealt with, but I have so much I want to do with my own life. But then you realize that that's just a road to destruction. That's just a road to a brick wall that you're going to run face first into at some point. Like we said this morning, you know, there's there's not a lot, a lot, a lot of details that are given about the second coming. There's enough for us to understand what's going to be what's going to take place. We know that Jesus is going to come back. We know that there's going to be a resurrection. We know that there's going to be a reunion. We know that there's going to be a judgment. And once we begin to think about the end of life that way and the end of history concluding that way, we begin to realize that, that God, there, there's got to be something different about our understanding of God 
What is it that the Bible says? What is it, what is it that the Bible, that the Christ, who is the most perfect revelation of Jesus, is trying to communicate to us about the nature of God? And then we begin to see it. That it's God who is wooing us and calling for us and welcoming us into His gracious love and compassion and mercy. And the more we taste it, it's like a thirsty person being given a sip of water and then a cup of water and then a glass of water and then an ocean. We can't get enough of it. And maybe that's what you've discovered in your life is that you've been going in a direction that has made you more parched and dry and sandy and dusty in your soul and you're thirsting for something more. And what you're thinking is that maybe God is the answer to that. Maybe it's God that can give me that abundant life, that peace and that joy and that happiness and that purpose and that direction and that guiltless feeling of confidence allows me to sleep at night. I'm telling you, that is where it's at. And we're going to have a couple of our shepherds down here at the front to talk to you about those very things while we stand and praise this God together. Let's stand and sing.